In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One, who gives us our free name. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, not too long ago there was this movie that came out called Twelve Years a Slave. If you haven't seen the movie yet or haven't read the book, I'll try not to spoil anything for you. But uh, you can probably tell from the name of the movie itself a little bit about the plot. It's about this guy named Solomon Northup. And Solomon Northup was a free black man living in the north of this country while slavery was still legal. And Solomon was living out his life as a free man. He was a musician, a violin player. And one day he encounters two men who eventually sell him into slavery. They trick him and they sell him into slavery. And one of the things that they do in order to sell him into slavery is that they take his name away. They, they don't allow him to be called Solomon Northup anymore. He is given a slave name, and he then lives out 12 years in this existence as a slave. And as you watch the movie, you begin to see a struggle within Solomon as he begins to wonder about his real identity and what his identity has become. Is his identity truly that he is Solomon Northup, a free man from the north of this country, or is his identity that he is a slave sold into slavery in the property of another human being with no rights whatsoever? And he vacillates between those two positions and tries to figure out what it is that is really his identity in the midst of that. Well, here in our reading from Galatians, we stumble across something that is, well, it's a little bit confusing to us today because for us, we have to think back into history in order to bring up the concept of what it means to be a slave. And yet, for Paul, that's a, a very, very present reality. It's a present reality that is so present, in fact, that he uses it as a way of explaining what our relationship with God is like. And so, as he gets into this, he begins by saying, Now, before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law that faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our, my translation has, disciplinarian. And what that character is, is what we would in English today call a pedagogue. Uh, someone who is set over, someone who is younger, so they would get the correct training. They would get the correct schooling. And in fact, this person is a specific vocation. It's something that, that people would know, kind of like when we say, well, that person is a doctor or that is an engineer. If you said, well, th- that person is a pedagogue, you would have known who they were. And essentially, they were a babysitter. They were an au pair. They were somebody who didn't necessarily teach the child. It wasn't the schoolmaster of the child, but in fact, it was the person who made sure that the child got to school made sure that the child had their lunch packed, made sure that the child had everything that they needed in order to become 
who they were going to be. Because this child in this relationship, the, the people that were taking care of these children, these children were always heirs of their household. They, they were always free people. And the interesting thing about this pedagogue is that the pedagogue was almost always a slave. It was a slave who was given the responsibility to look out after a child. And so when Paul is telling us about this situation, it's good for us to remember who this person is that he is using as this illustration for what it means for us to be justified. What it means for us to be heirs in Christ, as he says later on in the passage. And he goes on a little bit further, and then he gets into chapter 4. And at the beginning of chapter 4, he says this, My point is this, heirs, as long as they are minors, are no better than slaves, though they are the owners of all of the property. Well, that, of course, got me thinking because, well, I'm still kind of a young father and you'll have to just kind of go with me as I blather on about things that some of you older fathers have known for quite some time. And that is that what Paul is saying here is actually, well, kind of correct. That what Paul is saying here is that Cricket and Solomon Northup in his slavery days are really not all that different. That... Cricket is kind of my property. Now, I'm not meaning that in a way that means that I'm going to sell her or that I'm going to do something else awful to her. But in a lot of ways, she is my property. In fact, we have laws in our nation today that if I don't take care of my property, Cricket, that I will be a neglectful father. And that I can actually be brought up on charges on that just the same as I can be brought up on charges if I don't take care of my home, which is also my property, the city can come by and they can assess me a fee. And so in a way, Cricket is my property. She's no different than a slave. And then also... Solomon Northup had, well, no rights. That was a part of who he was as a slave. And, well, Cricket has no rights. If I tell Cricket to do something that she does not want to do, she has no right to say, I don't want to do that. She may say that, especially if she grows older, but at this juncture, she doesn't have the same rights as what an 18-year-old might or what she will have when she becomes an adult. And so when Paul says that a slave is no different from an heir, we kind of get what he's talking about there. We, we get that... Who we are in our relationship with God is one in which, well, we, we are in this position where he can say, you are mine. I mean, he created us after all. He can say, 
You belong to me. You are my property. You are my creature. I have created you. If it wasn't for me, you would not be here. And in our relationship with God, we have no rights. We have no right to go to God and to demand from God without Jesus Christ. We have no right to come to God and say, well, I demand that I am going to be in the resurrection. Because that's not how it works. God says that is not how this game is played. You don't just come up to me and demand that you are included in my kingdom. Because you have no rights. That's if we're living under the law. And yet there's a difference. There's a difference that is a difference between my relationship if I had a slave and my relationship with cricket. That difference may seem kind of subtle in a way. But... It's actually a pretty big difference. That difference is that when I look at Cricket and I say, well, that's my daughter, which is really a claim of ownership. When I look at her and I say, that's my daughter, what I am not saying is, well, that is my property and I am going to do whatever I want to do with my property. Instead, it is a statement of love. It's a statement of belonging. It's a statement that I am bringing her into my life. And the way that we understand that as human beings is through a similar process of ownership. And that gets twisted and distorted and that ends up becoming things like slavery when they're filled with sin. But when they're not filled with sin, It's simply the relationship that a father has with a son or a daughter, or a mother has with her son or daughter. And so there's there's that issue of rights then. And the issue of rights with my relationship with cricket is that when I say, no, you can't do that, It's not because I'm just trying to use my power in order to wield it against her. Instead, what it is is that I don't want her to do something because I'm afraid that she's going to get hurt. Or because I'm afraid that that's going to make her an awful person. Or because it's something else. But it, at its center, is all about how much I care about her. And of course, that leads to our relationship then with the law, which is what Paul is talking about throughout this entire section here. What are we supposed to do with this? It's kind of confusing. We we go, well, uh, on, on one hand, 
it, it kind of seems like, well, what Paul is saying is that we have graduated, that we don't need to pay attention to the law. We have all of these laws that God has given us and that, well, we don't have to really pay attention to them. We don't have to pay attention to that law and that command that God gives us that we should fear, love, and trust him only. We don't have to worry about that command that he gives us not to use his name in vain. We don't have to worry about that commandment that he gives us that we should honor the Sabbath by keeping it holy. We don't have to honor that commandment about honoring our father and mother, or if we are father and mother, being honorable for our children's sake. We don't have to honor that command that he gives us about uh, about stealing, about sleeping with the wrong people, about killing. We don't even have to honor those commandments about using somebody's reputation against them or about coveting somebody's life or their possessions. Those are all commandments that God gives us. And on the one end of this, Paul is saying, you don't have to worry about that. Which makes us a little bit cagey. Because we're kind of worried. Not about ourselves, of course, because we know that we can handle it. But we're worried about the other guy. Because we know that those commandments say, well, you can't kill someone and well we want to know that the other guy understands that a part of the rule here is that he can't kill me or use my reputation against me or covet the stuff that I have or any of that other stuff and so we start wondering a little bit oh goodness gracious couldn't we just have the pedagogue back somebody who tells us what to do And Paul's answer to that is, no. You are supposed to learn from the law. And if you learn from the law, or if you didn't, time is up. Now is the time for faith. Now is the time to hear the gospel proclaimed to you. And here is how that gospel is proclaimed. I started off this sermon talking about this guy named Solomon Northup. And interestingly enough, uh, in the movie, at one point, somebody asked him what his former master's name was. And this isn't a big part of the movie, so don't worry. You can still go and watch it. It's a good movie. Somebody asked him what his master's name was, his previous master that he used to have. And instead of telling him, uh, telling that person the actual name... He says, my master's name was Friedman. Which is a little bit of a twist. Because at this point in the movie, you're beginning to see Solomon reattaching his existence, his identity to being a free man. And he says, the, my master, which would have been his last name on all of his documents. My master is named Friedman. 
My master is freedom. I have no master except that which gave me freedom. Similarly, we named Cricket Bell Winters what we named her, which gets a lot of raised eyebrows and all of that. But a part of the reason, a part of the beauty that we had in naming her what we did, and you parents know this as well, is that we know that she will grow up knowing that her name is what we called her. And that that name represents the relationship that we have with her. A relationship in which we have told her again and again and again that we love her. That is the same thing that happens to us in our baptisms. That we are given our names anew. It used to be the case in the Christian church that you would actually take on a new name when you were baptized. We don't do that anymore, but basically what God does is he takes our name and he gives it back to us. And he says, now this name not only represents who you are to your parents, but this name represents who you are to me. That you and your name and your relationship have everything to do with this loving relationship that I have for you. Your last, last name in God's eyes is baptized. She is Cricket Bell Winters, baptized child of God. Your name is first, middle, Second middle, if you have that. Last hyphen, if you have that. But finally, baptized. That is who you are. Because of the grace of God, you've been given that name that Jesus Christ paid for with his life. Amen. Please rise.